So I don't know how to transition from such a beautiful word to such a horrible illustration, but I don't know. I know everybody here skeps, you know, it's real sketchy to get your shot. It is because we don't know what's going to happen. So far after yesterday getting my shot, I've only grown three extra teeth and two toes, but I can tell you this. So far, so good. So if this sermon is not good, we're just going to blame it on the vaccine. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to say, well, Pierre got a shot yesterday. He must be sick. That was a bad word. But what I want to see is like, this is what I, I did my research before taking the Johnson and Johnson. I, I did it. And this is what they say they do. They insert a little bit of the vaccine. I know the Johnson and Johnson is different. I don't know. Don't quote me. I didn't go to med school. I took one science class in college. It was called applied science. It was for the regulars. And they said they insert a part of the virus. Your body recognizes the foreign contagion that comes in. And when they recognize it, then they build up the antibodies so that when it does come in, it can fight it because it has a memory of what happened. So I guess what I'm trying to get you to understand is that sometimes God inserts a virus into your life so your body, your Holy Spirit can recognize it so the next time you see it. You can fight it. But the problem with some of us in this room is that even though the same virus keeps coming in your life, you haven't learned your lesson, so you don't know how to protect yourself. The problem is even though you see the needle come towards you, some of us have had the same type of individuals come towards you. You've had the same type of relationships fail you, but because you, your body hasn't learned from the fact that it's there and it is a foreign contagion. It's coming in to do something it's not supposed to do. And since we haven't learned our lesson, since we have used the same tactics, since we think we've got it all down, we keep responding the same way. So you're never going to beat the virus if you keep treating it like it's something that you don't know. But the word of God tells you how to treat the virus. The word of God tells you how to be in power. The word of God tells you how to protect. But the word of God also tells you how to overcome. So today I want you to understand something. I'm going to inject a virus into you. My prayer is that you'll see the scripture about how Joseph overcome, overcame in Genesis chapter 50. And I want you to turn there with me because you will get a beautiful picture about what we should do or what we want to do and what he does. So if you go there with me, you'll understand the beauty of this text. In Genesis chapter 50, I'm going to read it with you and you're going to see us pinpoint it for a second and, and take it apart. But it says in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. Now, remember, at this point, they have already identified him. They already, they already know that it's Joseph. There's no more because last week that he was hidden. He disguised himself. This week, they already know that he met his brother. He met his dad. Everybody cried. They wept. And all of a sudden they are moving forward. But Joseph was old in age and died of an old ripe age and died of natural causes. So now it's starting to pick up right here. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong we did to him? So they sent a messenger to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, Thus, you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers, the sin, their sin, and for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
Then, the, then his brothers also came to him, fell down before him, and said, Behold, we are your servants. And will. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result and preserve many, peoples, uh, many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. Will he provide for you and your little ones? So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Watch verse 15 one more time. I wanted to read it all together, but watch verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, the first thing I want you to get about this text is what did they recognize? They recognized that the person who was preserving the opportunity that Joseph could have had. Bear with me. When they recognized that the person that maybe stopped Joseph from enacting a grudge on them disappeared. Then they said, uh-oh, we better take care of this because he could be possibly holding a grudge. So the moment the position of power was removed and now Joseph holds the position of power, they got a little bit nervous. So what you're going to start understanding about this text really quick is that there's often times in life when you have an opportunity to get that grudge out because what was blocking you is gone. Oh, no, trust me, you're like, Pierre, there's never that point to even the score. There's never an opportunity for me to even the score. But how many of us have wanted to even it? How many of us wanted that grudge match? How many of us were just waiting to the perfect opportunity? See, how many times we have waited to somebody to harm us again so we can call it out? How many of us have waited to say, you know what, when they do this one more time, we're going to even this score. When this, my husband says the same thing next time, because I know he's going to say it, I'm going to even this score. If that next boyfriend says the same thing, I'm going to even this score. We're going to even it. As soon as I get an opportunity, this is the first thing I want you to understand about the message. It's not about your opportunity to even the score. It's about your opportunity to provide an opportunity for forgiveness and reconciliation. Huh. But then he says, he should have a grudge against us. So I had to define the word grudge for you so that you, didn't under, you could understand this in your notes. I want you to understand what the word grudge is because I'm going to ask you a simple question. How many of you have grudges? Because a lot of us, when we see this word, we're like, well, I don't have a grudge. You know what a grudge is? Holding of hatred. See, I wonder how many of us, when you see somebody, you cringe. When somebody comes back in your life that you didn't want them there, you automatically feel a boiling inside of you. You're holding on to your hatred. They are still your enmity. Or let me say, better yet, still your enemy. And you're like, well, Peter, I would never feel that way. Sometimes it's even temporarily. See, sometimes we're like, Peter, that's not me. I don't hold grudges, but some of us do. You know how you know if you hold a grudge? When somebody gives you an opportunity to reconcile, you take the easiest way to even the score. How many fathers, we need to even it up. And let me give you the best way of applying it when you finally get a position of power. See, when we were children, right? This is not about me, but I'm just saying. If they would say, let's say you had an absentee father. When you, were, when you were a child, let's say your father tried to come back in your life. Wait till I even the score. How many of you said that when you were kids? Wait till I get old enough. I'm going to show you. When a mom that hurt your feelings with the words she used, you said, wait till I get old enough. I'm going to show you that I'm better than that. I'm going to show you ain't never going to see my kids. We often wait till we have a position of power in order to persecute. But God's like, no, use your position of power to remove guilt. So watch this. What did Jesus do when he was the king of the Jews and came to die on the cross for our sins? He used his position to take away your guilt. But oftentimes we take our powerful position just so they can feel their pain. I want you to feel what I feel. When you hurt me, you're going to feel it as soon as I get an opportunity. 
Or I'm not going to let you slide it. I'll let you slide the other 15 times. Today, you're going to feel every ounce of this pain. I'm going to even it. But what does evening the score really do? Only to cause pain on somebody else. So what you're really doing is saying, you know what? I can't wait to harm you because I got this grudge inside of me. It's really a grudge match, but it's just waiting. Many people say what? Distance. They say distance heals all your wounds. Time heals all your wounds. But in reality, you're just holding on to your next opportunity. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. The same feeling emerges. It says, watch this word. It says, when he said the grudge, it said that being an enmity and hostile towards and to keep your anger. But then they said, this is what he's going to do because he has a grudge. He'll pay us back. I want you to think through your life right now and ask yourself a simple question. How many times have you paid somebody back? How many times have you said, you know what, uh, you deserve everything that's coming your way? How many times have we said, you know what, right before you slipped them 18 cuss words out, you say things like, well, they deserve that. To pay back means that I give you your recompense. You are rewarded what you deserve. So if you hurt me, you get rewarded with what you gave. So if you're going to do what Joseph happened in his life, what happened to Joseph? They threw him in a well, put him in sla- or sold him into slavery, and then he spent some time in jail because they put him in slavery, Potiphar's wife, so he should blame every ounce of his pain on them. So they deserve to get paid back. And guess who had the position of power now? I can choose not to feed you now. Your dad is dead. I'm going to take care of Benjamin, my little brother, but all y'all older brothers that sold me, y'all going to feel this today. Just wait. How many of you are paying people back right now? Can I ask you a simple question, just a step back psychologically? How many of you live your lives just to pay back people's words from your past? Somebody said you're not smart enough, beautiful enough. Somebody said you're not, you're not equal enough. You don't have the value. So now you dress yourself up, get a good job, get your money just to pay somebody back. And God's like, you can't pursue God's purpose while you pay somebody back. Sometimes in life, we're trying to pay people back when you're missing your purpose. You're saying you're only living your life to prove somebody else wrong. God's like, you don't have to prove nothing to me. I died so you can have purpose. I gave you purpose. Jeremiah 1, 1 through 10 says, I knew your purpose before I put you in your mother's womb. But many of us have been so harmed, so hurt. That's why I said I pray that you surrender all today because some of us need to search deep and ask ourselves some sincere questions. Are we paying people back today? Think how much and how long you have to hold on to pain in order to get somebody back at the perfect time. The whole time you're holding on to something is the same amount of time you could have been doing your growth process. The same amount of time you could have been forgiving them. The same amount of time you could have been giving to God. But you'd rather hold it than grow. And stop confusing the two. You can't hold and grow at the same time. He keeps going because they said, hey, he's going to pay us back. He's going to recompense us for what we did to him in full for all the wrong which we did to him. Here's the crazy part. Have you noticed they ain't said nothing to him yet? Just just pay attention. They still talking to each other. Have you noticed that they started to realize uh, we did something? But guess when they started realizing it? When they realize something can get taken away. Doesn't it hurt your feelings more when people only apologize what's coming next? They only apologize when they now need you? See, that's when we start calling insincere apologies, right? 
Have you ever heard somebody say, if you felt that way, I'm sorry? We all know that's not a real apology. Right? That's not, that's not sincere. That's just me saying, if you felt a certain type of way, my, my fault. No, that means I don't even recognize what I'm saying I'm sorry for. I'm just saying you feel it, so you have it. So I want you to envision what's happening to Joseph right now. They haven't even talked to him yet. But then all of a sudden, guess what they send? A messenger. This is what makes it even worse. Watch this. You're like, Pierre, you haven't even dug deep yet. He should be holding a grudge. What I'm trying to get you to understand right now is how bad this really is. Y'all think y'all got family drama. Picture your dad dying. You sad because you didn't get to see even see your daddy. Think about that. They sold you from seeing the daddy that loved you the most. Remember, the dad is the one that gave him the cloak of many colors. The dad is the one that favored him. The dad would have gave him a good life, and he had to go to jail because they hated him. So you, you wouldn't be upset? I'm like, oh, daddy gone now. But on top of daddy being gone, you're talking amongst yourselves, but you ain't talked to me. And then you have the audacity to send a messenger? Tell me you wouldn't be hot. Oh, you'd be hot. That's like somebody apologizing you through their best friend. Don't you hate that? Girl, she was sorry. Well, where's she at? Girl, you know she didn't mean what she did. Where's she at? You know the second part of this next apology that make you, not even apology. You know what the second part of this messenger is kind of messed up about? We don't even really know if the dad even said it. Watch it. Some of the commentaries I was reading, they were like, this could even be a made-up statement so that he wouldn't come get him. Oh, you, you, you don't believe me. Look how I messed up. He says, so they sent a messenger to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying. So they're quoting who? Dad, whose authority are they trying to use right now? Dad, they ain't even trying to apologize like that. They're just trying to use the authority of the father. And guess, who's, guess what word they used for father? Guess what word they put in front of it? Yo, daddy. The same dad they took away from him. Now they're trying to throw it back in his face. I want you to envision how upset you would be. And somebody was like, hey, yo, daddy said before you died, uh, before he died, even though you didn't get to see him that much, I know you had to see him die, but we took him from you. But hey, on top of that, he gave us this message we want to give to you. The only beautiful part of this whole, we don't even know if it's a sincere apology, the whole part of this whole messenger message is that in the message itself, they actually recognize how bad they really did him. Because the word they use three times, three different words to say, we jacked you up. So at least in the message, there's some beauty, right? Because watch what he says. He says, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin." First word, for they did you wrong. Second word, and now please forgive the transgressions. Third word, of your servants, changing position, of the God of your father. Hmm. And Joseph wept. We'll get to that next. How many words did they choose? Sins, wrongs, transgressions, and then they try to go to God and say, the God of your father. See, people will bank on you being a Christian only when they need you to be Christian. And then they throw it in your face. They say, what? I thought you was a Christian. 
even makes you what? Mohot. Because now you like, dag, not only did you not treat me like a Christian, you said you was a Christian. Now you want me to be the extra Christian? Oh, no, nah, you finna get the under Christian today. You finna get the under, the, the four foot Christian. You ain't getting all 10 feet deep. Nah, not today. So picture how bad that has to be where he start claiming your God, your father said, I need you to forgive us. And he don't even know if his father said it. I'm just trying to paint a picture so you can realize where this pain's at. But then I want you to look at yourself and say, where's your pain at? What level of pain have you carried for years now? Because if you can start to put yourself on Joseph's Joseph level, you'll start to realize maybe I'm harboring some things. I'm grudging some things. I'm ready to pay those people back. I can't wait to see my dad again and show him what kind of woman I am. Show him what kind of man I am. I can't wait to see the guy who left. I can't wait to see that boyfriend. And now you live your whole new relationship trying to prove your ex-boyfriend wrong. And God's like, well, nothing's new if you're still living in your past. Well, but then they apologized and actually came and saw him this time. I'll get to the weeping part in a second because we got to hit that for a sec. But watch, they came now. Now they, they sent the messenger, but we don't even know what happened in between. But in the next verse, it says what? Then his brothers also came to him, fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. They changed positions from brothers to servants. At least let us be your servants. But what does that confirm? This is the beauty. We talked about this last week. If you didn't hear it last week, I'm sorry. I'm going to do a quick regurgitation. They fell down again. What was Joseph's dream? They would bow down to him. So God is only doing what again? Confirming it all over again. They're going to be on their knees in front of you. They will bow down in front of you. Now they're even saying, we're not even your brothers. We're your servants. Just don't take it out on us. They came this time. They didn't send a messenger. And then you see the beauty of the next word that we have to hit is the ability to take your L. Here's the problem with people. It's pride will make you not want to take your loss. You got to be willing to take your loss. You got to be willing to say, you know what? This hurts. We got too many people, including myself, that are too prideful to even recognize your pain. But you can't have progress without pain. You got to recognize it's there so you can make moves. You, you can't recognize if you don't recognize you're taking an L, then you won't recognize how to win. That's all I'm trying to get you to understand. It's okay. Watch what I'm fixing to say to weep because you are in pain. Because right there it said what? When they got the apology, we don't even know if it's real or not. That one that came from the messenger, what did it say he did? Two words. He wept. But if you recognize something about Joseph, this is not the first time he cried. I want you to understand this. He's cried before. Remember, he was angry last week. But in between, when he saw his brother and then he saw his, uh, his dad, guess what he did? He wept. Commentaries don't even know which reason he wept for because there's multiple reasons in which he could weep. That's how bad his backstory is. They have to figure out which one of the four reasons in which he would weep for. How many times have you cried and don't even know why you're crying? How many times have you went to your closet and wept and you don't even know why you're weeping? You just know your life is a mess. You can't even find the reason. You just know something ain't right. These, these relationships in my life ain't right. The things that are going on in my life just don't feel right. I want you to own that though today. Marriages can't be fixed if you first recognize pain. The issue with many marriages, the issue with singleness, the issue with people have to take care of kids or our single mothers is because you don't recognize your past pain. So when you step into a counseling session, which I should recommend, when you step into one, you're too busy faking it for the counselor rather than telling them your pain. Ah, 
It's so much easier when somebody says, this person hurt me, this person hurt me, this person hurt me, this person hurt me. This is how I feel. This is how I feel. This is how I feel. This is when I cry. This is how I cry. At least be honest with yourself. I often wonder the reason why many of us struggle with depression is because we hold things. We take pain and we just hold it. And I'm going to speak to a culture a little bit. There's a difference about we don't see counselors, do we? Well, actually, in the Bible, it says, what does a wise man do? He seeks what? Counsel. But for some reason, in certain communities, we think counseling is a sin. That makes us weak if we go see one. Your marriage won't be fixed. You don't let somebody come in there and get some counsel in your life. Maybe you can fix some things in your, even in your dating life if you seek what? Counsel and accountability. But many of us are like, you know what? We don't need it. We're fine. So you don't even recognize your pain, so you keep, you keep committing the same mistakes. But he wept. So stay there for a second. I want to ask, when's the last time you cried? Or how many of us are just suppressing feelings? Being too strong because that's what everyone expects us to be. And I'm going to say this real quick. Don't let everybody else's expectation of your strength stop you from experiencing your pain. I wonder, I'm going to repeat that for a second. Don't let everybody's expectations for your strength stop you from experiencing your pain. Because God also says in Jeremiah chapter 31 that he is there for the broken and the contrite. But in order for you to, for God to give you the grace that surpasses all your understanding, in order for you to get peace, sorry, that passes all, surpasses all your understanding, you have to first experience the fact that you don't understand it. One. Two, for those who are broken and contrite, you have to re- first recognize you are broken and contrite and so he can heal you. Stop walking past the hospital saying, I'm fine. Let God heal you. Some of us just limp walking past the hospital when God can heal your broken bones. The crazy thing about the shots yesterday is that the line wrapped around the building like almost like honestly two times. It went from that door all the way back into the dirt, back around, back up, then turned and went on the sidewalk and went back that way. You would think, like me, impatient, we're in America, we don't want to wait for nothing, what would you do? Leave. And the reason why people were willing to wait is because they recognize if I wait three hours, I can save my life. No matter how you feel, that's, what they, that's probably what they thought because they waited three to four hours. We had people that were here since 4.30 a.m. 4.30 a.m. The doors didn't open till 10 p.m. Why would they wait? Why would they take such an L? they knew it would save their life. I guess what I'm trying to get you to understand right now. Some of us have to be willing to take that L so you can save your own life. Some of us have to experience the, the waiting process, the healing process, and it doesn't happen in a day. How many of y'all's problems been fixed in a day? How many of y'all's marriage has been fixed in a day? How many of y'all's dating life and single life has been fixed in a day? So why don't we get mad at God when he don't fix it in a day? You have to experience, you have to wait in line sometimes to experience your shot. I'm just asking you, are you willing to take the L first so you can experience your progress? But you got to recognize you need it. Because if you don't recognize purpose, you'll never stand in the line. But then something happens that many of us need to hear. And don't, don't get me wrong, Pastor, allow me to choose next week's sermon. And I'm already excited about that one. So you're going to understand this one a little bit better next week. But then if you don't understand God, you'll never take what happens. Watch this. Right here, he should have evened the score. 
But when somebody, when the Bible puts a button there, I want you to understand. But Joseph said to them, right there is usually where you get vengeance. This is the spot where you get to tell him how bad you really feel. Because he just wept. He should have been able to go off right after that. He's emotional. He should go off right after that. But even in the midst of his emotion, because he recognized God's purpose, he was still willing to make it even. But not the even you're thinking of. A God-like even. Let me explain a God-like even. A God-like even is seeing your sin and still dying on a cross so you can have access unto God. He made it even. A God-like our God that we experience, our Jesus Christ died on the cross so you can have access unto God, erasing your sin so you can be even because they just asked for forgiveness. What is forgiveness? It's the removal of a penalty or a punishment. So what are they really asking for? Can you make it even? Can you clean slate? Can you forget what you've done against, what we've done against you, all the crimes and the sin and the punishment? Can you forget it? And right now, Joseph is saying, nope, I can't forget that. And the only way you can choose to forget or to remove penalty is if you have a God-like purpose. Because right here he says, do not be afraid. I want you to catch that. When people come to you for forgiveness, are they afraid of you? Oh, this, one, this one should sting you a little bit. When your husband messes up and you're single or your boyfriend, girlfriend messes up or your family members mess up or your dad messed up in the past, when they come to you, are they scared of you? And you ever ask yourself, why don't people come to me? And you ever think, that may be me? Maybe they know you're not going to forgive them. Maybe you've shown symptoms that you'll never let things go. Maybe you've talked about people so much from your past, they know if they're a part of that past, they ain't getting off either. So maybe, just maybe, the reason why people don't come and they send messengers, it might be you. The reason why there might be a messenger, because they're scared of what you're going to do because you've done some stuff. So sometimes we blame people, but we also got to look in the mirror and say, man, are the people afraid of me? Guess what Joseph's response is? Do not be afraid. You should have no fear. If you don't understand what that looks like, I want you to understand that we all sin. And then when you pray and ask for forgiveness, the beauty of God looking at you and say, you should have no fear. I'm a forgiving God. I'm faithful and just to forgive you every single time you come on your knees. Every time you ask while you're walking by, while you made another mistake, when you, when you, when you had a party last week, are you drunk this week, are you smoked this week, are you cussed somebody out that week, God is looking at you saying, I'm faithful and I'm just. Come, my child, you should have no fear. So I guess what I'm asking you to model is who? Jesus. Because when people come to you, guess what they should experience? No fear. Now, this is called maturity. This is not immaturity. That's why I said you should be growing in your pain because when they come, you should be ready. Can I ask the second question? What if they never come? Because before this, they had never asked for forgiveness even though they were with them. What if they never ask? Are you still growing? Moving on. He says, you should never have fear or aboding emotions that would stop you from coming. Don't be afraid. But then he tells him why. Then he tells him why. He says this. As, you, as for you, he said, sorry, for I am in God's place. <laughs> I had to look at that for a second. Because God's place, he's saying the same place that my father was, that you said your father, is the same place I'm in. I'm here. 
So why should you be afraid if I'm the same God you call me out on, the same Christianity that those people throw in your face? If I'm in God's place, you should have no fear. Because the God who forgave me is the God who's going to forgive you. But then he gives them another reason. Watch this God's place he's talking about. Because God is exactly where he wanted me to be. Oh, I'm in the right placement is the best choice of words. I want you to get this. Have you ever thought that even in your pain, you're in the right spot? Have you ever thought that exactly where you needed to be is exactly where God wants you? Even if it's not peace. Now watch what I say about this word, peace. Peace is not the absence of problems, but it's the presence of God. So I guess what I'm trying to get you to understand is not the fact that you have no problems in your life. Are you growing? That's exactly where God wants you to be. That's it. I'm in God's place. You have no fear. Because if you're in this next place I'm not talking about, he said, what you meant for evil. Oh. Pastor did a good job at first service, first service talking about the word for meant for evil. The word meant means that they actually put a strategy to harm him. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an emotional response. They wanted to make sure that he felt that. They put him in the well because they strategized to hurt them. So you're like, Pierre, I have, I'm so hurt because people actually strategize on how to hurt me. I got family members who strategize on how to hurt me, talk about me, go behind my back. I've had coworkers go behind my back, strategize how to get me fired. I've had people in my life strategize to do evil against me. And you want me to forgive them? You a fool for that, Pierre. The evil, the opposite of God. They strategize to do the opposite of God to me, but you want me to be in God's place for them? You a fool for that, Pierre. Can I stop? Your ability to do this only shows where you are. Hear me. Your ability to have your enemy, the one you should have a grudge against so that you can pay them back, your ability to stay in God's place when they come to you or when they don't come to you is exactly where your spiritual state is. See, sometimes we are waiting for peace to tell us or these lack of circumstances tell us how good of a Christian we are. No, no, no. It's the problems that show you that. It's when they come shows you that. It's when people meant to hurt you. That shows your spiritual state. So sometimes we come to church and we're like, every Sunday I come to church, I'm a good Christian. You won't know you're a good Christian until you have to put it into practice. This does nothing unless you walk out those doors and put it into practice. This sermon is just words until you actually have your faith and your works go together. It's empty. However, what you meant for evil, everybody's heard this verse before. God meant it, same word, for good. But watch this, because if he used the same word, that means while you were strategizing, guess what? My God was doing the same thing. Whew. While you were meaning that, my God was saying, I got a strategy that overcomes your strategy. Joseph wouldn't be in God's place. He wouldn't be able to feed his own family. He wouldn't be able to give them food so they can survive and their family heritage could continue. They wouldn't be able to experience the beauty of who God is if it wasn't for Joseph and if it wasn't for God's strategy. So sometimes the people you think that you should cut out your life because they're strategizing against you are the exact people that God is using. Oh, God is using the people you hate. 
God is, God is using the people that you say they're strategizing against me. It's like, don't fear their strategy. Only fear me. Oh, man, you got to get this, man. Because the beauty of the double word is the, just the most beautiful part of the passage that he says, hey, I got a strategy for you. See, oftentimes when we experience God, we think the absence of the problem is God's plan. We think only when the problem is gone, then God is working. And I'm saying God is working while he's, you're in your problem. And he has, still has a plan while you're in your problem. The only thing you have to worry about is if you're causing your own problems. Whew. The only thing you should be worried about right now is like, God, am I sinning? Because I know that if I'm sinning, I'm out of your will. But other than that, if you're doing righteousness by God, all you got to be worrying about is like, okay, God, I'm going to keep walking in your righteousness because you have a strategy for me. You have a plan for my life. Even if I don't see it, even if I don't experience it, even I'm still single, even my marriage is still a wreck, I'm going to keep being obedient because you got a strategy. Because guess what he said? God meant it for who's good? Your good? No. His good. The moment you come to the recognition that God is not about your glory, but he's about his. The moment you realize that your marriage was not to exemplify how beautiful of a woman and man you are and how, how y'all can be black love and, and y'all can show yourself on Instagram, the moment you come to the recognition that that marriage was never about you, it was all about God's glory, that's when you start seeking God's glory because you start seeking his good because you recognize he's going to work everything out for his good. It was all about him. Everything in your life was about him. I just want you to know that his good never fails, though. So stop confusing what you think is good and what he is good. Stop thinking that your plan that you created when you were 15 years old so you can show people how good of a person you were, stop thinking that that plan is God's plan. Stop confusing the two. And you're like, well, Peter, how do I know if it's God's plan? Stay faithful, stay obedient, and stay in your word, and stay in your service. And if you stay in these things, you'll realize that God's plan is going to work. I may be simplifying too much for you because because of this, watch what he says next. He comforted them. Oh. The moment he told you I'm in God's place because I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Can I just give you a little bit more, just two seconds and I'll be done with this passage, the whole passage. Because he said, watch this. To bring about, in order to bring about this present result But not just the present result. What was the present result? The present result was to what? Preserve many people alive. You're saying to Pierre, you're saying, Pierre, man, you don't know what I've been through. You're right. You're sitting there talking about forgiveness, not holding grudge. You don't know the pain I've experienced. You're right. But have you ever thought that maybe you're saving somebody else's life? Not, not, Not your life. You're, you're suffering right now. You feel pain right now. You feel like I'm not going to continue in this marriage no more. Divorce is an option right now. You're feeling like I'm not going to continue. But then you get to look at your kids. See, I get to keep many people alive. The people, the kids, the generations that continue. I get to keep this family name alive because you don't die because I could take a vengeance out, go back to Egypt and leave you in Goshen and say, all right, I'm good in my life. I could take care of my kids. But he says, no, 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 that I'm going to take care of you. Let me ask you, did the enemies in your life feel like you're taking care of them? That's the ultimate measure of love and forgiveness. It's when you're even willing to take care of the people you hate. 
God wanted me here so I could preserve other people's life. God allowed you to experience the absentee of a father so that you never have the same experience for your children. God allowed these experiences. I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm not saying God allowed these things so you can preserve somebody else. Your life is not an accident. Their mistakes are not your accident. They are your purpose. Continue. Because he says, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And I'll close. Then he says, so therefore do not be afraid. How many times do I repeat that now? It's the second time. I will provide for you and your, watch these words, little ones. I just want you to stop just for two seconds. And I want you to catch the irony of him saying that. When did they throw him into a well? When he was what? Little. So who, if he wanted to get vengeance, what's the best way to get vengeance right now? Cut his whole family off and let them suffer in a famine. Because even their little ones would feel what I felt. But I just won't take care of you. I'll even make sure your generations live on. When you forgive somebody and you release them of their guilt, they get to keep living. They get an opportunity at another chance, a fresh start. Just like God gives you a fresh start and a new beginning. But then he says he encouraged them. He says, I, so he comforted them, which means he encouraged them and he spoke kindly to them. Let's be real. If somebody hurt you that bad, the kind words ain't coming. So at the end of the passage, look how he concluded the passage. He said the words that he gave them encouraged them. When your enemy comes to you, do they leave encouraged? We'll talk about this next week. Are you dealing so kindly with them that they can't even understand? You know why people are so shocked when you give them kindness when they gave you anger? Because they expect you to do what they did to you. Surprise them, please. Give them the opposite. Put coals on their head. Romans chapter 12. Put some coals on their head. Let them feel what kindness can do in the midst of their hatred. Hmm. See, after the shot, though, praying for those who still have a little fever or aches and pains. But I saw some things yesterday. I'm not clowning nobody. But the whole church, it was really cool. The whole, the membership that they got here early enough got to experience a shot together. But what happened was comedy right there on the spot. It's not my fault, it's theirs. You know, I told y'all last week, I'm a G. I'm a thug. I don't get, I don't get scared, you know. But then I got to see some grown men, some grown women. They don't do, what do they, what's, what's all black people say stuff? I don't do needles. Or when they come to your house and say, I don't do dogs. Like, I don't know what that even is supposed to mean. It doesn't even make sentence structure sense. I don't do dogs. You know, you don't do dogs. You just say, I don't like dogs. But that's our terminology. So I got a chance. After I got the shot, I turned around and I saw some people flinching, pushing their arm back. Because they knew it was going to hurt. I even saw, I'm not going to say her name. She's like the toughest woman I know in the church. And all the nurses were around her trying to encourage her to get the shot. It's going to be okay. It's just a needle. Jesus loves you. (laughs) 
I wish I could say her name, though, because she'd be clowning me since I was young. Oh, don't you? I'm not that savior. I went right after that. I clowned a mess out of her publicly with the mic. Um, and she finally got the needle. She finally took it. She said, go ahead. And she turned. And I saw one of my pops from the church. He'd been with me since I was a kid. I mean, his kids grew up together. And he over here doing this. <clears throat> I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, working off the needle pain. <laughs> Aerobics? And then this morning, you hear people probably are at home, what? They sick. They got the aches. But if you are willing to go through the pain, then you finally won't be affected as much by the coronavirus. You might not have to go to ICU. You might not have to go through all the hospital visits. You might not have to be on a ventilator. So the pain was worth it if you took it. But in order for you to take it, you had to go through the wait in line, and then you had to go through the pain of the shot, even if you don't like needles. Even if you don't do needles, you still need the needles so you don't go to the hospital. So I guess what I'm trying to get you to understand is even if you don't do enemies, you need your enemies so you can continue in God's purpose for your life. So even if you don't need the pain of somebody going in your life, injecting themselves in your life, even if you say, Pierre, I don't need them here, God is telling you, I need them so you can continue on with your purposes. God is saying, what they mean for evil, I mean for good. I need you to take that shot for me real quick so we can continue on with your purposes. See, I know you want to work that thing out. Trust me, you might even have some aches tomorrow. Guess what? When they hurt you, you may weep. You're going to have your pains tomorrow. It may last for years upon years, but when you finish and God does his perfect work in your life, he says, my good will always be done. So how about, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time, if you surrender all and let's take the shot. And I'm not talking about the vaccine. I'm talking about his word. Let it inject into your life so the next time you see your enemy, your dad, your mom, your marriage, your singleness, you recognize that's your growth. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you. Because you have given us an opportunity to surrender our grudges, our ability to pay back, so that you can continue on with your purpose, what you mean to do. Now, I know what people in this sanctuary, even Pierre Cannings, want to do. I know what I mean to do. I know what people have meant to do to me. But at the same time, what I know is that you said my enemies are a part of the purpose. And we'll talk about that more next week. But what I want to do, what I want to do is soften my heart so that enemies are not afraid of me anymore. So they experience kindness and encouragement. So they experience what it feels like for them to come to God. Like at the end of the day, my prayer is that when people see us in conflict or when they've hurt us, they start to see a God-like response so that they can know what God feels like when they ask for forgiveness. We should be the light of that healing. So while your head are bowed and your eyes are closed, if this is you today and you're like, you know what, man, I, I just want to remember my purpose. I, I've been holding a grudge. I, I have some bitterness living inside of me. I'm holding hatred. I, 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 I want to start experiencing what it feels like for people not to be afraid of me and not that they know I'm not going to pay them back. I want to live free from the grudge. I don't, I don't want to keep living my life in this holding of hatred. I actually want to live this life that you're talking about, Pierre, where God means to continue in my purposes so that he can work it out for good, that these people are just pawns in my progress. 
If that's you today, you're saying, Pierre, I want to let it go today. I want to surrender today. If that's you today, I want you to come or stand. I want you to let it go today. Don't live for somebody else. Only live for God right now.